G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. So what we're doing, we're taking a hard, fast look at who we really are. And do our lives model what we say we really believe? Hi, and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Do you find it hard to forgive people? Today, the message, I don't want to forgive, is for you. The Bible tells us, God will treat us as we have treated others. And here's the punchline of the story. Here's what Jesus says. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Yeah, yeah, I tell you, every service so far has just been off the charts with emotion and happiness, applause, no pressure. I'm just, no, it's it, no. All right, I deserve that. I deserve, it's just been a great morning. Turning your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. This is one of my favorite stories in all the New Testament. Anytime I get to preach about this, like I'm already fired up, because this, this passage It reminds me of why I do what I do. It reminds me of what everybody needs every week when they come into this place. It reminds me of what separates the genuine, authentic Christ follower from those who just claim that they are. We're in a series called Christian Atheism, so a good time to talk about this passage. Christian atheist, you know how we define that? As somebody who says, I believe in God, and yeah, I follow Jesus, but my life looks nothing like Jesus' life. Now, some of you say, well, wait a minute. We all live in seasons or valleys of our lives when we're not just making the spiritual progress we wish we were making. I realize that. I have that in my life. You have it in yours. What I'm talking about is if you look at a life from the time they say they receive Christ till the second coming, till they die, and you look in that life and you really don't see very much in that life that looks like what they say they believe, then there's got to be some issues at stake. There's got to be some problems. So what we're doing We're taking a hard, fast look at who we really are and do our lives model what we say we really believe. And so we jump into the story. Jesus is talking about kingdom life. And he says, if you really live in the kingdom, this is what kingdom life is like. Here's kingdom life. Here's the way the world lives. Which one are you in? And it all starts when Peter comes to him in verse 21 of Matthew 18 and asks him this question. How many times do I got to forgive my brother? Now, he doesn't say it exactly like that but something like that. You know, Peter uh, needed an anger management course. Here's a guy that spoke before he thought. Uh, Here's a guy that was easily uh, violated. Uh, Here's a guy that when they came into the garden to arrest Jesus in the Passion Week, what did he do? Pulled out a sword and chopped a guy's ear off. So he comes to Jesus, and I think he's looking for a loophole. How many times do I have to forgive a guy before I can unleash hell on him, which is what I really want to do. And he says, is it seven times? Now, the reason he says seven, seven is the number for perfection. So Jesus responds in the next verse by saying, no, it's not seven times. It's seven times 70 or 70 times seven. He takes the multiples of the number 10, 
which is the number for perfection, and the number seven, which is the number for completion, combines them and comes up with 70 times seven. Jesus is not saying, forgive them 490 times. 491, unleash hell. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you forgive them until it gets the job done. Now, Peter's gonna be thinking, why? And then Jesus says, let me tell you why, because kingdom living is different than the way the world lives. And kingdom life is like this, verse 23. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. Now, in order to understand the story Jesus tells, you have to understand there is one rule when it comes to the economy of debt in the first century. And here's what it is. You owe, you pay. And so the king has been loaning money to the slaves and now's the day of accountability. So he's gonna line his slaves up and say, okay, now, you know the rule of debt. You owe, you pay. Now, that's still the rule in an economy, even in America, although we've abused it a little bit. But still today, if you go to, let's say you have a home loan from Wells Fargo and you go in there tomorrow morning and you say, you know what? I know I borrowed $450,000 from you a few years ago, but that debt's just kind of bugging me a little. It's kind of cramping my lifestyle. So I'm not gonna pay it. See ya. I promise you, you'll probably get a letter in the mail or a visit from a lawyer because there is one rule when it comes to the economy of debt in every culture. And it's this, you owe, you pay. That's how it works. So the Bible says he gathers these men together, these slaves. And then in verse 24, when he had begun to settle the debt, there was one who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. One talent is 15 years salary. So we got 10,000 talents. That's a lot. It's going to take lifetimes. And so when Jesus' audience heard this, they're going to be saying, wow, this is a king of extravagant generosity to give the slave this much money. But he's also a king of settled accounts. And it's time for the accounts to be settled. What Jesus, in fact, does here, he takes the highest number in the Greek language and pluralizes it. So really, it's like us when we say a gazillion. There's no number for a gazillion, but you know what I mean when I say it, right? Immeasurable, insurmountable. Wives know what that means. Mothers do. It's, it's the amount of times it takes to ask your teenage son to clean his room before he actually does it. That's called a gazillion. Or how many times you have to say to your husband, don't put the dishes in the sink, put them in a dishwasher. That's a gazillion, okay, you with me? So he owes him a lot. Here's what happens. He calls this one slave who owes 10,000, but since he did not have the means to pay. Now, stop right there. I wanna show you a slide. From what movie does this slide originate? What is it? Say it together on the count of three. One, two, three. Um, all right, you've heard of Dumb and Dumber. This is dumbest. How could a slave take advantage of a king of staggering generosity and not make provision for the day of accountability? It's insane, but he doesn't. So the Bible says, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had so that repayment would be made. That's how you did it in the first century because the rule of debt is this. You owe you pay. And if you can't pay, you're sold into slavery. And if that's still not enough, you sell your entire family into slavery till the debt is paid. In fact, this debt is so high, what does it mean? It means that not only is little Tommy and little Lucy going to be chained and sold on the auction block, it means that your wife, your children, and generations to come are going to be born into slavery because of the debt that you have and must be paid by the entire Vines family. Grandparents, parents, 
aunts, uncles, cousins. Somebody's gonna pay because the rule of debt is simple. You owe, you pay. Now here's what happens. The slave knows this, so in verse 26, he falls to the ground, prostrated himself before the king and said, have patience with me. Oh, you're gonna love this line. And I will pay everything back. Really? You're a slave? One talent every 15 to 20 years and you're gonna pay 10,000 talents back? What a whopper. What's the slave doing? Hoping that he can find a loophole, buy some time with the king. And if the king will let him out of his presence, he's gonna take the first camel out of Jerusalem. (laughs) Right? He's out of here. Because that's impossible. Now to help you understand what's happening here, and I don't mean any offense to the Catholics, but you know in your prayers you have the Hail Mary. Well, the Hail Mary is also used in football. And in football, it means this. And, and who, who comes to mind? Who, who, who is this guy? Some of you football fans. Doug Flutie. He, I think he's the most famous Hail Mary, right? Uh, Boston College, Miami, 1984. Fades back. I think they're down three, four. I don't know how much, but he, what, what's a Hail Mary? The quarterback fades back, throws it, just heaves it up in the air. It's a hope and a prayer and hoping that somebody in the end zone will come down with a football that has the same jersey on that he does. It's called a Hail Mary, I hope a prayer. This guy throws up a Hail Mary. That's what he does. I'll pay you all the back. Just let me go. And of course, the audience hearing this story, they're going to say, what a punk, man. This guy is taking advantage of the king. What are the odds that an unemployed slave could pay back the gross national product size debt loan to the king? It's impossible. It's ludicrous. Worse yet, it's an insult to the master's intelligence. It's like me telling you that I'm going to empty out the Pacific Ocean with a teaspoon. It's not going to happen. Now, here's what Jesus' audience does. They're waiting for the ax to fall now. Just drop the hammer, Jesus, on this guy. Tell us the story. Tell us how he pays dearly for it. And the reason is because they know debt is a serious matter. That the one rule in the economy of debt is you owe, you pay. That's why when you get money off the street, we use uh, an aquatic animal metaphor. We don't call him the lone bunny or the lone bluebird but the lone shark, because it has teeth to it. And if you don't pay, you're going to get a visit from Vinny or Rufus. (laughs) Because the rule of debt is simple, isn't it? You owe, you pay. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and we're hearing, I don't want to forgive. Truly forgiving others is probably one of the hardest things Jesus asks us to do. Here's Pastor Jeff with more. Now, here's what happens. This is interesting. Verse 27, the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Now, this is astounding. Two things happen. The guy begs for mercy. The king does two things, does them in this order. Number one, he says, no, take off the chains. Call your wife on your cell. Not gonna go into chains and slavery. Your children are free to go. Everybody's free. And then second, he says, not only that, forget the gazillion debt. Don't worry about it. It's forgiven. Now you think about this for a minute. Somebody has got to suffer this loss. This is a a large amount of money. It's a huge sum. It doesn't just disappear. Ask anybody who's a creditor who loans money. It doesn't just go away. Somebody's got to pay. Somebody's got to take the loss. And here's what the king is doing in Jesus' story. He's offering a whole new system of debt management. In the old system, you owe, you pay. But in the new system, the economy of grace, you owe, I'll pay. Welcome to the economy of grace. That's really cool. And so the slave goes home and he says, sweetheart, I got good news and bad news. The bad news is 
The king called me into the throne room today and demanded that we pay back all that we borrowed. And she would say, you have made provision, haven't you, sweetheart? And he would say, no. Oh, I can't believe this. Get the chains out. We're going to be sold on the auction block. No, sweetheart, calm down. The king forgave the debt. And everybody listening to this are going to think, man, what a king of staggering generosity and mercy. So, verse 28, the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him 100 denarii. Now, do you know what 100 denarii is, right? It's chump change, lunch money. And so, I don't know how much a break there is between that part of the verse and the end part, but I can imagine Jesus' audience thinking, wow, just when you thought this story couldn't feel any better, it's going to feel good now. Because surely the guy who's on the receiving end of the largest grace operation in the history of man is going to go out and look for opportunity to give mercy and grace. After all, it would be his way of saying thanks to the king in small ways for giving all the debts that people owe him. You imagine how shocked they were when Jesus said he seized him and began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. Grabs them around the neck, which is a symbol of violence in first century, a symbol of violence in every culture. <laughs> and he's going to choke the guy. Verse 29, so the fellow slave fell to the ground and notice what he does. He begs him, pleads with him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you. He says the same exact thing to the slave, peer on peer, that the slave says to the master. And the master, the king forgave him, but what does he do instead? But he was unwilling and he went and he threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. No sign of pity, just revenge. Now, I want to show you another slide. Do you remember this fight? Anybody in the room? Do you remember what Tyson did to Holyfield? He bit his ear off. Now, when you're in a boxing match and you bite somebody's ear, it ceases to be sport at that point. <laughs> you're not just trying to win a fight. You're just angry. You're just mad. You know you're about to get whooped. And so what do you do? You lash out. Now it's just about inflicting pain and getting as much revenge as you can before it comes to an end. And that's the attitude this guy has. So in verse 31, some of his fellow slaves, people who had also experienced the staggering generosity and lavish mercy of the king saw what this slave did and they reported it. And in verse 32, then summoning him, but notice there's no tears this time, no pleading, no bargaining. He says, you wicked slave, I forgave all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow servant in the same way that I had mercy on you? And the king says to the slave, you, you made a big mistake, man. You didn't get it. You thought that grace meant that I was a lazy, incompetent bookkeeper, not concerned with justice. You're dead wrong. You thought you could be on the receiving end of the largest grace movement in the history of man and it wouldn't change the way you behave toward your friends or your brother. You were wrong again. You thought you could be the same old hurtful, unforgiving, self-centered self and everything would just go on as normal. You were shown forgiveness, but you won't give it. You were granted mercy, but you won't bestow it. You were shown mercy, but you won't extend it. You were offered the economy of grace, but you chose the economy of vengeance. And the king says, okay, have it your way. Verse 34, he was moved with anger and he handed him over to the torturers until they should repay all that was owed him. And here's the punchline of the story. Here's what Jesus says. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. 
Don't you love that story? Come on. Isn't that a great story? But you know, it has profundity with it, but the message is really simple, isn't it? You and I, everybody in this room, no matter what age, you're on the receiving end of the largest grace operation in the history of man. God is the king, you and I are the slaves, and there is a mountain of moral debt we have before him. Now you tell me this is not true. Do you realize what Jesus teaches? Every time, every single time you lie, every time you deceive, every time you fudge on an expense report, Every time you cheat somebody, every time you gossip or slander somebody else to tear them down so that you may feel better about yourself, every time you mistreat someone, every time you have sexually impure thoughts, every time you say a harsh word to a son, a daughter, a husband, a wife, every time you mistreat anybody, the Bible says you're just stacking up from the time you're born till the time you die, a mountain of moral debt before God. Now you think about it. Who's the biggest debtor you know? You. Who's the biggest debtor I know? My wife. No, me. <laughs> me. Who's the biggest debtor? You think about it. Who's the biggest debtor? You are. Who's the biggest debtor? I am. You tell me that there are not times in your life when you come to terms with who you really are and you start asking questions like this. Why in heaven's name Am I not making progress in this area of my life? I've been fighting with this sin for 20 years and yet I'm still gossiping about family members. I'm still, still ripping other people apart. I'm still telling jokes I should not be telling, listening to things I should not be listening to. I still struggle with this. And all of a sudden, in that moment, it just begins to dawn on you. It's an aha moment of how much moral debt you really do have before God. And the reality dawns on you that you're just not that good. And then... For those who have been to the cross, you know what happens? After that moment comes another moment and you begin to realize. And that's why you get so excited when you come into a place like this on the weekend. You are excited, right? You're so excited because you get worship and they can't contain you, man. They can't restrain you because you're so fired up. And you know why you're fired up? Because you know who you really are, but you also know that those who have been to the cross don't relate to God any longer in the economy of debt, but it's the economy of grace. I owe, you paid. And now nothing can take that joy. But here's the story. The story is this. Somebody who's been to the cross and had that kind of staggering generosity bestowed upon them, the natural result then, if you really get it, is that since you've been forgiven a gazillion, you'll forgive your brother or sister lunch money size debt. And you'll have no trouble doing it because you get it. It's kingdom living. And how could you ever withhold forgiveness from another peer, slave to slave, when the king, wow, has forgiven everything, past, present, future. Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. Join us next time as we continue, I Don't Want to Forgive. If you wait until the day of accountability, when the king is settling the accounts, and you go to him and you say, just give me some more time and I'll pay it all back, that's an insult to the king. 
because no amount of moral goodness would ever pay the debt. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 